Jam Session is a podcast where two guys who grew up in Dallas-Fort Worth discuss sports, craft beer, life, and their experiences living in one of America's most vibrant cities. If you love sports, you're going to love this show. If you love craft beer or you're curious about it, you'll love this show. Great conversations with good friends is what Jam Session is all about. Welcome. It's nice to have you here. I hope you enjoy it. I think you will. You're listening to the Jam Session Podcast. I was told that I could listen to the radio at a reasonable volume. With Cowboys insider... What's your name? Jean-Jacques Taylor. That's my name. Radio personality and craft beer expert, Matt McLaren. He's a very strange young man. He's an idiot. Comes from upbringing. And now, the Jam Session Podcast... It is indeed Jam Session. Subscribe, rate, review, hang out with us for a while. Right here on the Jam Session Podcast. Sponsored as always by Greening Law, a personal injury law firm in Dallas, Texas. Greening Law fights that legal battle so you have time for healing and renewal. But right now, the moment we've all been waiting for has arrived. Ladies and gentlemen, the radio, the TV, the podcast star, the sexy Jean-Jacques Taylor. What up, Doc? I would be the non-sexy one. It's Matt McLaren, and this is Jam Session, the podcast, version 277, asking simply that you prepare to be dazzled. If not entertained. We will have a lot of that for you. The Cowboys and the Chargers preseason game number two coming up this weekend. They've had a couple of practices out there in California against each other. The Texas Rangers, I mean, it was one podcast to go. We're like, oh, Chris Woodward, okay, yeah, I guess you could see that coming. They have fired John Daniels, who's been with the organization for 17 years. I don't know anybody saw that one coming. Very interesting. We'll dive into that. A couple other stories to get to as well. But before we can start anything, it all starts with Robert Greening and the Green Team at Greening Law. You guys know I was hurt in a car accident over a year ago. I've been working with them ever since. They handle all the headaches. They handle all the scheduling. They handle all the calls from insurance companies who are like, oh, wait, hold on a second. Maybe you should do this. Well, no, no, no. Why don't you talk to my lawyers there at Greening Law? And they could be yours as well. They're your fierce legal competitor against the insurance companies, and they're only a phone call away. Dude, one of the best things you can do if you've been involved in a situa- situation like this, just pick up the phone <clears throat> and give them a call. 972-934-8900. Ask for the green team. It's 972-934-8900. Robert Greening does a great job over there. And what it is is they walk you through this incredibly tedious, complicated, you know, uh, process. And when they do that, they're, they're supplying answers to questions that, you know, frankly, Matt will tell you, you didn't even know you are supposed to ask. And they make this process a heck of a lot simpler than it would have been without their help. That, and they're good at it. And and as I like to tell y'all, they don't get paid unless you get paid. And so it makes sense to pick up the phone and give them a call if you've got any if you've been involved in any kind of accident. Yeah, that's exactly right. It's very easy to do. It's 972-934-8900. The consultation's free. It's free. You think you got a case? Find out. Cost you nothing. 972-934-8900. It's Robert Greening. Call him now. Office Dallas, Texas. Dallas Cowboys, man, they will embark in, into Los Angeles to take on the Chargers on Saturday night, preseason game number two. It's it's interesting because, you know, all you can do is you look at what the guys that are covering the team, like the, the, the Clarence Hill Juniors of the world and the Todd Archers of the world and 
you see those types of things and what they're tweeting out. And I've seen some good things, but it's funny because you started to, to bring this up, I guess, a couple of weeks ago, that it's starting to give off the vibe that this is going to be a team that's going to have to have a really good defense and win by making some plays on defense. And all the videos that we continue to see, I mean, this is now week two preseason. This is another team they've been practicing with. And it feels like the videos and the comments from a lot of the guys that are around the team every day are kind of alluding to that same thing, that the defense is making plays, defensively they're doing some good things, and the offense is continuing to be stagnant. Well, I mean, I think you can just look and see that that's the way it's going to play out, at least early, while the offense is trying to figure out who they are and whether the young guys can can make plays early or whether it's going to be later in the season before they make them. You know, the the defense, man, they played really good in the second half of last year uh, when they really got the turnovers going. And if you look at, uh, you know, Sam Williams can be a contributor and uh, other guys continue their growth uh, just because they're young guys get more experience, then, yeah, you see ways where the defense can be even better than it was last year, and it was really good last year. Yeah, it was really good. And, and you know, can they take the ball away as many times? I, I, I don't know. But it's, it's interesting, and, you know, the latest thing with the offense, of course, and I'm sure that everybody is, is fully aware of this, is the CeeDee Lamb injury. It doesn't sound like it's a serious thing that he just had to get some stitches after a cut on his foot from horsing around is – or clown stuff, I guess, is what the words use. Clown stuff is what he said. I was trying to right. find the exact quote because I saw that and I was like, well, what is it then? And, and so apparently this isn't anything that will have any type of long-term effects or anything. But again, it just it, it goes to show that we already said Michael Gallup's gone. Then we were like, well, if James Washington can't go, I mean, it, if CeeDee Lamb were to pull a hamstring or have anything wrong, I mean, what the hell is going to happen? <laughs> it's going to be a disaster. And this is, again, once again, this is the folly of getting rid of Amari Cooper. Uh, in a year where you knew Michael Gallup was hurt. If Michael Gallup wasn't hurt, then, okay, you just made a decision. That's really what it was. But yeah. with Michael Gallup, you know being gone the first three or four games, it was just irresponsible to get rid of Amari Cooper, bro. Or if you're going to do that, then you had to go bring in a legitimate veteran early in, in free agency or whatever to replace him. Not James Washington, who's been just a guy his entire career. Um, but, you know, these are the choices they made. And once again, if it works out for them, then I will be happy to say I was wrong and dump all the praise on them. And if it doesn't work out for them, bro, then I have no sympathy whatsoever for them. Yeah, and again, we still haven't gotten to the point in camp, and we won't until after the final preseason game where you got to cut. You know, they go from 80 to 53, and there's going to be a ton of guys hitting the streets. I still believe at some point there's some veteran wide receiver that'll be let go that the Cowboys make a move for. But, I mean, this whole thing is so wonky and so iffy. I don't know. Again, the defense, there's a lot of positives on the defense from everybody that's there and sees them every day. It feels like there's a lot of positives on the defense, but as many as it feels like you're coming out defensively, it almost feels like you're getting that much non-positive stuff about the offense. They haven't done anything, but I'm not... I mean, can we really be surprised? They're, they're an offensive line where if we're going to be fair, if we're going to be critical, we'd say they got three questions on the offensive line. If you want to be a little more fair, you could say they got two and a half questions. Because uh, Terrence Steele, to me, we'll see if he's just a guy or if he's more than that. They think he's more than that. I'm not really convinced yet, but we'll see. Um, the receiver core is a joke right now outside of CeeDee Lamb. Uh, hey, man. 
I mean, I know that we don't value him the way he values himself. What happens if Dalton Knox gets hurt? I mean, Dalton Schultz gets hurt. Well, Jake Ferguson. I mean, come on, he's a rookie tight end. It'll be great. <laughs> nah, bro. Uh, so this is what I'm talking about, man. So you look at the tight ends, you look at the receivers, you look at the line. Um, you know, there's questions about Zeke. <laughs> I mean, there's, there's a reason why the offense didn't do anything. Yeah, and, and that's where we're at, man. And, and so now, I mean, granted, if you, have a, if you have a cut on your foot that requires stitches and you're CD Lamb, I mean, I don't know, what, two weeks? You're obviously not going to play in the preseason game two. It doesn't matter if you play in preseason game three. You should be fine by the time the season begins. But again, the point goes back to Dennis Houston is the guy that, oh, watch out for Dennis Houston. It, guy's never played in the NFL before. And he's from Western Illinois, even though he came from somewhere else. You know, and, and Jalen Tolbert's going to take some time to develop, as we talked about. You know, it's funny because I had somebody, I was having a conversation with somebody, and they're like, well, I mean, you know, Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase, guys like that showed up as rookies. I was like, guys like that weren't drafted in the third round. Nor did they play in South Alabama. You know, so let, let's be <laughs> realistic here. I mean, could he be good? And I think in certain in a certain role, yeah, I, I, I like Tolbert a lot, but... Not a lot of third-round rookie wide receivers showing up as rookies and dominating the NFL. No, no, especially from group of five right. schools. You know, again, there's a difference between being a top-five pick from LSU or Alabama than being a third-round pick from uh, South Alabama or even Colorado State where Michael Gallup came from. I mean, Michael Gallup had a damn good rookie season. Yeah. Um, I would say that's more an unusual rookie season for a guy like that than it is the norm, and which is why, what, ultimately he ended up getting the contract that he got because he was, I mean, it was clear that he was a good player from the start. Uh, now, he only caught 33 passes as a rookie, but he averaged 15 yards a catch, and it was clear that he was a good player. And so we're saying, hey, step in and be a factor. We're talking 33 catches for 500 yards for, uh, for Michael Gallup. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. That's very true. And, and so, again, I mean, we're all very familiar with the tight end situation. We know that this is obviously below ideal, but I think it's funny because it just all these points that we have keep getting exacerbated. I mean, when James Washington went down, we did that podcast. Like we literally said, what if? And that happened. And now you're starting to be like, OK, well, I mean, what if CeeDee Lamb just what if CeeDee Lamb had to miss two games? I'm not even talking about like a legit injury. What if CeeDee Lamb had to miss two games? or tweak something and like, hey, we need to sit him for a game or two. Who in the hell are you rolling out there? If that were to happen in the first few games of the season, your literal top two wide receivers would be a third-round rookie draft pick and a spare-piece, undrafted rookie free agent wide receiver in Dennis Houston. And then maybe you throw Noah Brown out there who has never caught a touchdown pass in the NFL. <laughs> Bro, I mean, that's why, that's why this was an asinine decision. Uh, but they made it. They made it months ago. Uh, you know, they say they addressed it with Jalen, Jalen Tobert, and we'll see. But they are they are extremely thin right now, and they say you know some prayers every night and before every practice that you know a couple guys they just can't even afford to get them hurt for for any bit. And Dalton Schultz is in that category too, because at tight end they don't have a, they don't have any kind of proven answer as a backup. Um, it's a uh, it's real dicey right now, bro. It's real dicey, and again. Yeah, you can you can choose to be optimistic or you can choose to be more of a realist and just be like, yeah, hopefully it works out. But, man, does it look shady right now? It does. It does look shady. And that's why on Saturday night, it's a nine o'clock kick against the Chargers. And, 
you know, the one thing I think that I hope that we can take away from this, I don't want 17 penalties again. I, I, like I said, and I was joking because even nine penalties in a game is a lot, but I was like, man, cut it in half. Let's get, can you get single digit penalties in a football game in the preseason on Saturday night? <laughs> Let's hope so. I mean, because at some point they've got to address it. And the fact that McCarthy just kind of shrugged his shoulders about it, you know, can we get a little bit more Tyler Smith or are we going to be like, oh, it's Tyler series. It's Connor series. It's Tyler series. It's Connor series. Is Tyler Smith going to show up and stake a claim as a starting left guard or because again, after tonight or after Saturday night, rather, there's only one preseason game left and then you're in the season. Is your first round rookie left guard that was supposed to anchor the left side of your line for the next decade is he going to start in his rookie season right off the bat, or is Connor McGovern legitimately in this thing? <laughs> Let's hope not. Let's hope not, bro. It's got to be your boy Tyler Smith. It can't be McGovern. I mean, although I had an interesting question, man, um, and I don't know if you've read something, and maybe it's that um, McGovern is not suited for the right side, I was reading, and I was like, I, I realized that that – that Zach Martin is over there, but I was like, what is it? What is it that makes him not suited for one side or the other? I have no idea. I don't either. So uh, I need to, you know, maybe I'll text Will McClay later on and ask him. You should. I mean, maybe it's like, I don't know. Is it, is it feet? Is it, I don't know. That's very, I, who knows? I don't know, but I, that struck me as odd when I read it. And so I've been looking for an answer. I just haven't had time to get one. Uh and uh, and I want an answer. I do have uh, something off topic when we're ready to move on to another topic about the Cowboys. Another topic. Okay, what is, next topic on the Cowboys? Well, this is just, it's just I decided to address this on a podcast, even though I got an email. Uh, you know those emails we've been getting from Fergie 40? Fergie about, 40? Well, remember that email? Or did he just send it to me? Must I thought just... he sent it to both of us. And he was talking about Mike McCarthy's a great coach and all this. And oh, all this yeah, 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 yeah. He was really right, being yes. satirical about it. Right. Uh, he didn't really mean all that. But for some reason, he's been texting me, emailing me like once a week. Oh, that's very nice. I guess. Um, so he goes, you remind us all the time how long you've been watching and covering the Cowboys. You remind us that it's not your job to have hope, faith, and optimism. I guess that you're implying that you know what works and what does not. I mean no re- disrespect, and I'm not being a smartass. What separates you from a fan that has been watching the Cowboys for 30 years and is able to strip away the emotion and calling it like it is? And at first I go, well, yeah, you are being a smartass. I was going to say, at first you probably like pulled it out and slopped it on the table and were like, I mean, that's 27 <laughs> years worth of being in the organization behind the scenes. <laughs> Yeah, bro. And, you know, when people say stuff like this, dog, like he really probably didn't mean to be disrespectful, but like, see, I almost slipped and said something. But like, if you do your job for 27 years, whatever your job is, why would you think that I could come in not having done your job and do your job? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, really? Um, and, And Matt hit the main thing. Number one is, you can't say I'm a fan and then say I strip away the emotion because what is a fan? That means you're emotionally invested in your team. And it's that's short okay. for fanatical. Yes, which is, I mean, the bottom line is, no, you can't strip away the emotion because you're a fan. I'm not a fan of the Dallas Cowboys. I haven't been a fan of the Dallas Cowboys. Um, realistically, 
probably since 1996. When I started covering the Cowboys in 95, I'm not going to sit here and lie to y'all and say, oh, I was a big fan of the Cowboys in 94. And then the day I started covering them, I, I flipped the switch and became this objective reporter because that ain't true. I was walking around starstruck like, wow, I was cheering for Emmitt Smith last week. Now I'm like, what's up, dog? <laughs> this is great. Uh, but probably 96, certainly 97, I ceased to be a fan and became more of a reporter. And uh, certainly after that, I was really a reporter. And so... What I mean by that is I have no emotional investment. Matt has an emotional investment. That's why we do Homer. What, what's, uh, what's our segment we do, Matt? Secret audio of a Cowboys Homer that we do from time right. to time. You know. Right. Because Matt's a fan and Matt ain't never said that he wasn't a fan. Uh, and so Matt, can, Matt can, can strip away some of it, but he's still a fan at heart. And that's, that's cool because he never claimed to be anything else. Uh, but me, I, I don't have any emotional investment if they win or if they lose. And so, you know, the other thing is, bro, that I spent 27 years talking to coaches, talking to players, getting insight on what really goes on with the team behind the scenes and all this stuff. That's why I was, yes, that's why I was that dude, the expert on the Cowboys, the best, one of the best beat writers in America for probably a five or six year stretch once again not gonna lie and say that's what i was at the beginning but probably starting in about 97 when all those drug stories started coming out yeah. and going through bill parcells i was that motherfucker okay <laughs> and you could ask anybody you can even ask clarence hill now he will exaggerate son because i used to kick his ass on the regular but i was that guy and so yeah i know more about the cowboys than you uh, I know more about the Cowboys than most fans. Now, maybe there's some Uber fan out there who, who would know more than me, but that would be slim and none because you don't get the insight that comes from talking to players and yeah. coaches and trainers and equipment guys on a regular basis about what's really going on with the team. And so things that you see, you notice because you've seen them year after year or time after time, and that's what gives me insight that other people have. That's why people pay me hundreds of thousands of dollars to do it, dog. And that's why they don't pay you. They pay oh, me. Oh, there it is. I mean, I don't mean to throw my dick on the table like that, but that's what it is, bro. <laughs> no, and I think that that's always something that's interesting because some people will look at the media and they go, what do they really know? And people don't seem to realize, especially guys like you that have been around the team for so long. I mean, you used to have, what, hour, two hour conversations with Jerry Jones? Yeah, every Monday after game for about two or three years. Right, where you just sit, it's just you talking to him on the phone and, and you're getting yeah. insight. Now, you're not using all that, but the thing right. of it is is that I don't think people realize a lot of the times, a lot of what reporters have, they don't report because it's learning the team, it's learning the inside situation. So, like you were talking about, you can sit there and say, oh, this is going on, you know, this reminds me of this situation or in certain situations, and you have right. that expertise because you've been told countless times by people in the NFL that this is how this goes. Yeah. Or you develop relationships yeah, with coaches right. or front office personnel. And you say, yo, dog, what's up with this? And they tell you the real story about, oh, this is why we're doing this. Or this is why we're doing that. Or, man, this is why. Yeah, this Don't worry. I don't care what you see in the preseason. This guy can't play. You know, I once had a coach call me because we'll we, we go back to Bobby Carpenter. Like, bro, you know, I don't see much in practice. But, uh, you know, maybe maybe you seeing stuff that I don't see. And he said, uh, look at a preseason game and just watch him. Just watch him. Don't watch anybody else. Just watch him. And I said, duh. And so I went and rewatched the preseason game and just watched Bobby Carpenter. 
And I called my guy back and said, oh, my bad. He said, you see what I'm talking about? He doesn't even want contact. Did you see him free, staying away from contact? Did yeah. you see him moving to the side? Did you see him eluding that? That's the kind of shit I'm talking about. Ah! And so when Bobby Carpenter didn't start his first game, who was not surprised? I mean, when he didn't play. Me. You know, because that's what happened. Uh, to take it one step further on a different thing, I'm down at Jackson State last week, and there's a guy who was starting who's now on third team. And so I asked Prime, I go, dog, what's up with your boy? He said, just watch him in practice. And he said, watch him like a scout and bring me back a report at the end of practice. I said, okay. So I went over there and watched the guy. He's an offensive lineman. I went over there and watched him go through individual drills and watch him do this and watch him do that. And about 20 minutes into it, I said, oh, okay. And then about five minutes later, I saw something else. I said, oh, okay. <laughs> and I saw something else about five minutes after that. And so I stopped watching. And so I went back over to Dion at the practice, and uh, we were hanging out for a minute. I said, dog, I saw your boy do this, this, and this. He said, I told you. All you had to do was watch him. Yeah, that's why he's 13. And this guy's problem was attitude stuff. It wasn't necessarily playing. It was effort and attitude. But it, he gave me three great examples, like 20 minutes into practice. I was just like, oh, this is what he's talking about. But, again, my whole point to that is when you cover a team, those are the kinds of things that you learn about and that people trust you with information and tell you about. And that's why you know more than a fan who's, who's – even if you read everything you can read, you still don't know because, like Matt said, you know, I don't even write. Even when I cover the Cowboys every day, I probably wrote about 25% of what I knew. Yeah. Maybe a little bit more than that, but you can't write everything you know because it was told in confidence and, you know, it's – it's 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 not out there for public consumption. It's up for you to cover the team better and understand why guys are playing well or poorly or why the team is winning or not winning. Yeah, so there's your answer to the email, I guess. Yeah. And anybody else who wonders <laughs> why I keep saying I've done this for a long time. I didn't always say that, but, you know, I covered the Cowboys for the Dallas Morning News. Uh, I think my tenure as a beat writer was the second longest and i think i think the guy who had the longest was bob st john who covered them from the original with the 60s you know so yeah i'm a, i'm all right with knowing more than fans so am i works well <laughs> and i'm not mad but sometimes you have to tell people like dog everybody who does their job is an expert at their job if they've done it long enough. Yeah, know? I would say that's very true. Very, very true. Much like JR at Freeway Tire Shop. He's an expert in cars because he's been doing it a long, long time. And he's an expert in customer service. So now he can service your car. He can do it at an elite level. And he's the mechanic you can trust. And that's, you know, JR is one of those guys with Freeway Tire Shop that if you haven't had an opportunity to experience, and I tell you people this all the time, but reality of it is, it is wherever you live in the DFW area, it is worth getting over. It's just north of downtown Dallas for the peace of mind and for you driving away, knowing that you're in good hands, knowing that you've gone to a place where you can trust the work. Bro, that's what it's all about, man. I rock with JR for four reasons or four reasons only. I trust him to diagnose whatever's wrong with my car, and I trust him to use quality parts to fix it because not every mechanic does. I trust him to charge me a fair price, bro. We know how that goes. Oh, yes, that part was $2.27, and the labor was $17 trillion. 
And then we all know, bro, can you just stand behind your work? JR does it every single solitary time. Um, what more can you ask from a mechanic? It's just like I tell you all the time, man. I go to a doctor because I trust him. That's why I've been going for a long time, to the same doctor. I go to a mechanic because I trust him. And uh, ever since we hooked up with JR, man, he's my, he's my dude. I got any car problem, I call him. Here's what I do. I bring it in, and then I just leave it alone. It's Freeway Tire Shop. Man, you are having all kinds of microphone problems today, moving it around. Oh, oh you hear that? Oh, a little bit. I mean, it's just been, it's been a lot. Oh, I didn't think I was moving much. It's a lot, man. Oh, well, let me see if I can do better. I mean, you know, sometimes I get in trouble, and I'm like, you know, I did that. I deserve to be yelled at, darling. And sometimes I'm like, oh, I hate, I hate getting yelled at when I'm not, when I'm, when I think I'm good. No, I understand. I was just letting you know. Oh, okay. See, and here's the thing. And again, we're talking about Freeway Tire Shop. So FreewayTireShop.com. <laughs> request a quote, schedule the appointment. Freeway Tire Shop. But see, what happens is because my headphones are high quality, so I know that I pick up sound a lot easier than like the people that are listening. But I also know that if I'm hearing it like to a certain extent, that it will still come through at a certain level, if that makes sense. Yes, sir. So... Well, you know, because uh, it'll drive me crazier than like a normal person listening just from the headphones that I have and, and just my ear. That's just how it is. Well, I'm plotting to get one of those other mics we were talking about. Yeah, we got to figure that out because then you can just have a stationary mic that you don't yeah. have to hold. Then you can move around and the mic never gets touched. Problem is, I haven't been stationary because I've been back and forth to Dallas and Jackson. Yep, it's a lot. <laughs> do you ever when you're going to Jackson, do you ever listen to the Johnny Cash song Jackson? You should listen to it next time. Okay, I will. I was going to say, can't say that I do. It'll get you excited because you're going to Jackson. That's how he sings. <laughs> Does he? Yeah. I'm going to Jackson. There you go. I've been trying to get the lady fiance to do a duet with it at karaoke because I was like, at the wedding, we could just randomly bust out Jackson from John and because it's a duet. It's Johnny Cash and his wife, June. And I was like, we could do Johnny and June Cash. And people are like, oh, my God, they're singing it. And we could nail it. It'd be awesome. Why won't she do that? Because she's she, shy. She's not really a performer, you know? I don't think she really has any desire to ever sing karaoke, to be honest with you. Well, hell, neither did I, and I did. <laughs> well, you are on the radio. That's a little bit different, you know? <laughs> so, all right. So, the other thing I, we need to get into before we get to this trip around the block, because there's some, I, I got to tell you a couple of things here. But Bruce Biltong, if you have not had your Bruce Biltong yet, you need to order it right now. I assume you're listening to this on maybe your phone. You can get on your phone and you can go to bruisebiltong.com. You can order order some of the two-ounce packages, 240 calories and 30 grams of protein in a two-ounce bag of Biltong. If you like beef jerky, if you are somebody who will eat beef jerky and enjoy it, you will be blown away by Biltong because it is way better than beef jerky, more savory, more tender. I got a bag of it in my fridge like all the time. I love Biltong. <laughs> And Bruce yes. Biltong is a legit one. Get it. Bro, it's succulent. It's savory. It's tasty. I love it because it tastes good, and it doesn't get in your teeth when you chew it. I don't even have to pull my toothpicks out. <laughs> but it's fantastic, man. And uh, just like Matt was saying, man, it's 230 calories in two-ounce pouch. It's 30 grams of protein, which is whopping. It's, it's fantastic. It's a perfect food choice. How about that? Because I think that's really what it is. 
It's true. It, it, it very much is. And with no artificial ingredients, no sugar, all the good stuff, man. If you're looking for a really high quality, tasty snack, it's Biltong. It's Brews Biltong. You go online, you use that promo code JAM15 at checkout, and you get 15% off your order. It's that easy. Brews Biltong. B-R-U-S-B-I-L-T-O-N-G. BrewsBiltong.com. You're going to have to watch this, and everybody listening is going to have to watch this because... We came across Netflix the other day has put out a new documentary. It's a two-episode documentary. It's probably about two hours and ten minutes combined on the Manti Teow fiasco that happened about a decade ago where Manti (laughs) Teow had a girlfriend that did not exist. He did not know it, and he was catfished. They interview Manti on this thing. They interview... The it it originally was a man who was pretending to be a woman. She has now transitioned and is a woman. Oh, and really? yeah. they interview her and why she did it. And it is they they interview all the major players. They interview the reporters who broke the story and how they broke the story. It is riveting. Okay, I gotta watch it. It is, and I will tell you this: I almost started crying for Manti Teo at the end of it. Really. He, the person who catfished him basically shows no remorse and is almost like taking credit that he played so well because, really? oh, it's, it's unbelievable. Like you, I'm sitting here watching it going, you are a piece of shit human being. And then you Damn. watch Manti Teow and some of the stuff he says in this, and he's still emotional about it. And this was a decade ago, over a decade ago. Well, I guess it was a decade ago because it came out. It was right around the 2012 National Championship game between Alabama and Notre Dame, so about 10 years ago. And he went on, you know, he, he got drafted in the second round, played for the Chargers, played for the Saints, played a season with the Bears. I mean, he did like eight or nine years in the NFL. But his story, and when you see how this happened and why this happened, it'll blow your mind. And, I mean, you feel from anti Teo. Wow. I mean, this it's his his perseverance, his positive attitude, his faith, his ability to not. I mean, there, there's a lot of people who on the level that he went through a lot of this stuff that probably would not have handled it. And, and his ability to be where he's at now and, and be as I mean, I found it very inspiring. He it was incredible watching him in this thing. Wow. And you, got, you sold me, dude. I am telling like there is stuff on this because I think we're all like I, I know the story and I remember it very well. You might you probably forgot a lot about it, and, but I think people are like, well, how did you not know? How could you be that dumb? How could you have fallen in love and fallen for somebody that you never actually met? And I got to tell you, man, I've been catfished before. What you? Yes. Seriously, I've been catfished on a, I didn't fall in love with anybody or anything like that, but I was catfished very similar to the way that he was catfished one time. And it was somebody, and this was obviously years ago, but people, people forget, like, even when this was happening to Manti Teo, we didn't know what catfishing was. Right. You just assume if you say your name is Bill, your name is Bill. Like this stuff didn't. I'm sure it happened, but there it wasn't really public. There was no show or, or movie called Catfish on MTV yet. And so what happened to me was very similar to this, where somebody had messaged me like on MySpace or Facebook. I mean, it was way back then. And it was a picture of a cute girl. And I, I start chatting her up and, 
you know, next thing you just at at the beginning of it, people don't realize. I don't think that. Like I was in high school when the internet, when we got the internet in my home, and I used to go into AOL chat rooms all the time. I would chat with people all the time in AOL chat rooms. I mean, I spent a lot of time, probably wasted chunk of my life doing that. But you know, you would meet girls, and and they'd send you a picture, and it never crossed your mind that I should talk to them on the phone or what have you. You would just talk. All right, all right, and so. This is what happened to Manti Teo, and this is similar to what happened to me, is I'm talking to this person, and, you know, you get to a point you're just kind of chatting every day online, and, and like, well, what are you up to? Hey, send me another picture, and they send you a picture. You're like, oh, okay, cool. And then, yes, it finally got to a point with this person, and this is the same thing with Manti Teo. You're like, well, I want to, like, can we talk on the phone? Like, I want to hear you. And, and so this person, and I talked to him, and I was like, man... Because she had told me that she was, I mean, I was in like my mid-20s, I think. Maybe my early 20s. And she told me she was, you know, same age, early 20s, former college cheerleader. And we were, I, I had just gotten out of college. And that was her story. And I was like, oh, okay, great. And very, you know, attractive girl. Had a lot in common. Enjoyed the conversations. But she kept saying, well, I don't like to talk on the phone. Or I'm really shy on the phone. And stuff like that. I was like, it's okay. I remember this. I was like, it's okay. I'm not, I'm not a shy person. I can carry the conversation. I just want to talk to you and, and hear you. Right. And, and so finally, at one point, she relented. And when we got on the phone, her voice to me sounded like a heavy set smoking woman. <laughs> and I even at one point, and I was like, man, your, your voice sounds kind of weird. And, and she goes, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sick. You know, I, I have laryngitis or whatever she said. She's like, that's how come you know, my voice has just been bothering me a lot lately and I, I really didn't want to talk. And I was like, oh, okay, well, you know, and, and much like, and I'm telling you, you go through this documentary with Manti Teo and he's saying some of the same stuff. Like she was giving him excuses and stuff, but you like this person. You, in your mind, think that you're talking to a certain person. So you're like, okay, you know, you see, I like you and you're cool and all right, you know, I, I, I kind of care about you. All right, I'll, I'll believe you. Like, I'll believe you. And then it got to a point where I started to really have questions about this person. And so I was like, look, I want to talk on the phone more often. And she was like, no, no, no. Or she, I'd call her and I'd be like, hello. She'd be like, hello. She would hold, and then the phone would go down. But she goes, oh, my phone died. Right, right. Like stuff like this. And so finally I was like, I want to see you. <laughs> I want to see you. I want to Skype with you. And she was like, well, I'm really shy. I was like, I get it, but if you don't Skype with me, then I'm done talking to you. And so she was like, okay. I'm like, oh, all right, this will be cool. And sure enough, and Manti Teo talks about the same, the girl or what he thought was this girl did the same thing to him. We got on Skype and the camera's pointed at the ceiling. And I'm like, well, I can't see you. She goes, oh, you can't see me? I'm right here. I'm like, well, I don't see you. She goes, oh, well, my, it shows that I'm on the camera. I don't know what to do. I was like, well, point the camera at yourself. You're obviously not. And it was like that. And then she was like, well, you're obviously mad at me. And she just hang up the call. <laughs> and I'm sitting there going, okay. And at this point, I was like, there is no way. Like, I am convinced I'm being catfished. <laughs> wow. How long is this, this like a week? This like no, a no, no, month? this, this, this is like... a few weeks. A few. Okay. I, I would Jeez. guess this is probably like it culminated within six weeks. Because you don't like immediately just jump to the phone and jump like for the first couple of weeks, you're just chatting every day. You're like, oh, this person's really cool. Like, I like them a lot and stuff. And Manti Teo's story is the exact same. And he's going through this. I'm like, yep. And that's why everybody is like, oh, it's fake. It's bullshit. I'm telling you straight up 
how easily this can happen when you at that in that era of where we were at in society of how easily this could happen to people when you're in your young 20s and you want to talk to cute girls and all that type of thing and man finally i get this girl on skype and she tries to do this thing to me again and I'm telling, like, I'm I'm getting combative. I'm like, you're, I, I, like, I don't think you're who you are. I think you're lying to me and all this. And finally, like, she angled the camera and she didn't realize that I, I think it was like a clock or there was something on her bedside table. I could see her reflection in it. <laughs> like some out of a movie. No, I'm telling you, man. And I look and I go and I go. I guess you can't tell. I can see your reflection in whatever it was. I go. I knew, and she was a heavy set older woman. And she hung up the Skype call and that was it. Wow. And then later I found out like she, she contacted me much like fuck Manti Teo. The same thing happened to him because people forget. Remember his girlfriend's name was Lene and she died supposedly the same day his grandma actually died. Remember that was the whole story. And then I don't know how many people remember a couple of months later, that person called him back and said, oh, I didn't really die. I was, I had people coming after me and I was scared. It's really, I'm still alive. It's me. This, this person who catfished me contacted me a couple of months later and tried to be like, I'm sorry. I freaked out. I was in the room with something. I was like, no, no, no. And she finally admitted to me that she had made up somebody and that she had taken this other girl's pictures off of like MySpace or Facebook, however we met and was using those pictures. And it was a friend of hers daughter that she was pretending to be. swear to you man it happened to me and i'm when you watch this documentary everybody who watches this on netflix and when you start to to be like oh there's this bullshit there's no way i'm telling you you now know somebody else that that something very now i didn't fall in love with her and we weren't like i love you and all that and she didn't pretend to die but i'm telling you that's how deep down the rabbit hole how easily you can go down something like that at that age of your life manti teo was 20 21 years old when this was happening dude it was trippy it was trippy man and this story and watching him and he did it on i mean he's sitting here and at the end of it he talks about how he goes you know all the bullying and all the people that make fun he starts crying he's like everybody who makes fun of me goes everywhere i go and every I, i even now he's like i see people they whisper and they go, there goes Manti Teo. That's that guy. And, you know, I, and I got to live with that the rest of my life. But he goes, if I can inspire just one person that it's okay, that's why I'm doing this. Whoa. And I mean, dude, it is heavy. I mean, it is. He, I couldn't even imagine having, because people forget Manti Teo was the best linebacker in the country. He was a Heisman Trophy finalist. He, he should have been a first round draft pick. And this cost him millions because he was drafted in the second round. He said it, it gave him anxiety. He started doubting himself. He started to listen. You know, memes were coming around. Like Saturday Night Live did sketches making fun of the guy and stuff. Yeah. You know, and he had to live with, through all that as a 20-something-year-old kid in college. It's, it, I'm telling you, man, the documentary is so worth watching. I think everybody, it'll blow your mind. Sounds like it. I'm riveted, and you're just telling the story. <laughs> I mean, it's insane. I, I just couldn't believe it, and... You know, getting catfished is, it's a weird, weird, I don't know that you could get catfished in today's age, like now. But back then, when it, when it happened, you know, 10, 15 years ago, it, so like now, like if I was, if somebody tried to catfish me now, I'd Google their name. And if they didn't have like a Facebook, a Twitter, a, an Instagram, something, I'd be like, well, what the hell? Everybody has one of those as a 20 year old girl. 
Right. You know, but back then it wasn't like that. Back then there weren't a, a gazillion pictures of everybody. It was very easy to get a picture and be like, oh, this is this person. Yeah, I think you're right. Wow. And I won't, and people, people think Manti Teo was dumber than he was. And when he starts to explain it and the, and the other person corroborates it, I mean, she goes, she's like, oh yeah, that happened. You know, I just tricked him and this is what I did and all this. And, you know, cause he asked the same questions. He wanted to meet her. She always had an excuse. He tried to Skype with her and she did the same type of thing. And then she would bitch at him and get mad. And he was afraid that he was going to lose her. So he's like, it's okay. You know, I just really want to see you. And she'd be like, oh, is that all you care about? He's like, no, no. Like that type of thing. Just manipulative yeah. as hell. Yeah, manipulative as a motherfucker. And man, it, it's, at, and I'm not going to ruin this part of it, but at one point, and everybody does this that's ever gone through a situation like this, you tell the perpen, you, you, like I did, I said, I want to see you or I'm done. And he said, I want a picture of you and I want you to hold, like give me a certain hand sign and I want to date with your initials on a piece of paper <laughs> to prove that this person is really you. Wow. And I'm not going to, and it, he got that proof and how they made that happen when you, I'm, it blows your mind. So watch it. Yeah. Shit. It's intense, man. I'm telling you, it was awesome. I mean, woo. I get fired up telling that story. I haven't told that story to anybody in years, by the way. So the thousands of you that listen, there you go. McLaren got catfished. Hilarious. <laughs> but mine wasn't that bad. I had another one. And this wasn't as nearly as bad. And this would have been in 2003. Right. I met a girl online in a chat room and we chatted. And, and by the way, if anybody ever knew a girl who used a screen name, OU Sooner 25, find <laughs> out who that asshole is. So me and this girl are talking. We talked on the phone. And, and I'm it, look, could you mimic a female voice? I suppose. Are there voice changing software you could use? In 2003, maybe there was some really good stuff. I don't know. I was talking to the female on the phone a couple of nights a week. She told me she, that she went to college at OU. I was living in Dallas. And as the holidays were approaching, we had scheduled a time to meet. I was like, I can come pick you up. She gave me an address and all this. And I, I, this is real, dude. I was so excited. She was like, I talked to her the night before on a Thursday night. She's like, okay, well, I'm driving home tomorrow. Um, call me when you're on the way to the house and I'll be ready to go. I was like, okay. She's like, you'll probably have to meet my parents. I hope that's okay. I was like, oh yeah, no big deal. She's cause she's staying at home with their parents that Friday. I get my car washed. I get a haircut. I'm about to have a date with this cool girl. I've been talking to for a few weeks and I've been talking almost every day on the phone, voice phone. Never right, heard from right. her again. The address she gave really? me was to a field. What the hell? I drove to a field and, and I kept thinking I wrote down the address wrong. It's incorrect. And I kept double checking. I was like, it's here. And she gave me an address that was like in between two houses that were there. And the address was like for a house that didn't exist. I mean, what's the point, bro? I don't know, man. And then I like I tried to co contact her again and find her again. Never. I, I have never talked to that person ever since. Jeez. I mean, how weird is that? <laughs> I'm I'm Manti Teo, you know? I mean, golly, man. Make a meme about me. That is wild. Bro. Matt McMoron. <laughs> I don't know. It is wild. I mean, it's... Oh, you learn a lot. And, and a lot of people can say now, because, again, I, I feel like you have to be of a certain age and of a certain demeanor that you chatted online like I did. 
And if right. you weren't, then this sounds really stupid to you. But you'll never understand because you didn't grow up, you didn't get the internet at 16 years old at the height of teenage hormones and yeah. have an opportunity to go to a chat room and talk to girls nonstop. When I was, yeah. I was, I was a very outgoing human being, but when it came to girls, I was always, you know, I, I never had, at that age, I didn't have a lot of confidence. You know, I, I, I struggled to talk to girls, but I could go into a chat room and talk to girls all day. No, no. We've all been there, I think. The perfect Those storm, man. A certain age. Yeah. Yeah, and it got me, and it got Manti Teo. So watch it. It's called, I forget, it's called The Manti Teo. It's on Untold is the name of the documentary, The Manti Teo Story, The Girlfriend That Never Existed. Totally Ooh. worth it. So that's my story. So how about we, we get into something a little bit more fun then? <laughs> Hell yeah. I don't know if we can beat that, but the other day we talked about the Texas Rangers, and they fired Chris Woodward. And then a day ago, the Texas Rangers fired president of baseball operations, John Daniels, who had been with the organization for 17 years. When they originally hired him, he was the youngest general manager in Major League Baseball history. He was a huge part. A lot of people want to act like it was all Nolan and that Nolan did everything. There, Nolan helped, and I think Nolan's name and the respect that he had helped. But John Daniels was the one pulling the strings of those 2010-2011 Rangers World Series teams. Yeah. I mean, Nolan was, I mean, those of us who covered him know Nolan was really more of the business side, but and J.D. was making the moves. Uh, but it, it's like most things, man. People got to, uh, you're trying to sign credit and blame. And, you know, sometimes you just decide that because you like one guy more than the other that he gets the credit and the other guy gets the blame. But John Daniels did a lot, a lot of positive things. It got to a point, and we even talked about this on our last episode when we talked about Chris Woodward, and I had brought up, I said, you know, you wonder at what point do you start looking at John Daniels? And we went down the rabbit hole on the managers and all that and, and how those older teams in the 90s. But, you know, we talked about how, okay, Wash was good. Ron Washington is the longest tenured manager in Rangers history. And, is he now? Yeah, I mean, he did what, eight seasons? Seven and a half, I think. Yeah, it was a hell of a run, too. Yeah, nobody else got that deep. Even Bobby Valentine didn't get that many years. Most of the Rangers managers throughout the course of time are like four or five years guys. But I wondered, I was like, okay, John Daniels, the Ron Washington thing, unfortunately, fell apart. You brought in Jeff Bannerstander, that didn't work. And then you brought in Chris Woodward, and that didn't work. And I started wondering, like, at what point do you look at John Daniels and say, okay, we're not winning, but we haven't been winning. And apparently, Rangers man management agreed with that. And, and Ray Davis, one of the Rangers owners, basically said that. And I thought this was fantastic. He said, the bottom line is we're not good, and we haven't been good for six years. The bottom line is, to be competitive going forward, I felt that we needed to make a change. And I can't disagree with the man because I think as long as a long, 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 lifelong Rangers fan, a I did this, and I know some of my friends would do this. We gave JD a lot of benefit of the doubt because he's the dude that was running it when we went to the World Series that we never thought we'd go to. True. And he deserved that, that credit. Um, but, you know, how long a pass do you get is always the question, bro. And that's the thing. The Rangers are below 500 since 2006, 17th in Major League Baseball. They've really struggled in the last six years, as Ray Davis alluded to. 
And this was a guy I just feel like you, you brought him in when he was 28 years old. He turns 45 next week. He was here. It worked for a long time until it didn't. And I, I think with him a couple of years ago, taking over as president of baseball operations, you brought in Chris Young, who's a guy that has a lot of clout and a lot of is very highly respected in Major League Baseball. And it almost felt like, let's see what, let's see what Chris Young can do. What's Chris Young's vision? And I guess ownership kind of agreed with that as well. I mean, I, th- I think um, what happens is when when you do the same thing as long as JD has done it, and you've done it with the same organization. I mean, at one level, bro, it just makes sense that people say let's let's let another smart dude handle it. And you know, the problem for JD is that you know Chris Young, by all accounts, is a is a really smart dude. And so when they hired him, I was like. You know, he don't seem like a guy who's going to be the subordinate forever. Either either you're going to make him the GM at some point or uh, he's going to bounce and go somewhere where he can't be the GM. You know what I mean? It just seemed to me that that's what, that they weren't on a path where where he could um, he could do this forever. No, and it, and it was time, and, and I almost wonder if they looked at it and thought, okay, well, if we're going to get rid of Woodward, and like I said, I mean, we, we've been here with multiple managers now for the John Daniels era. Do we want this to be Chris Young, his selection, his vision, for him to hire a manager and, and guide this thing to where we want it to get? Because John Daniels has not done that now for, you know, two or three seasons, okay, Six seasons, they underachieved this year. It wasn't what they wanted it to be. I, I, I don't have a problem with it. I, it reminds me a little bit of when the Mavs made the move away from Donnie Nelson. And it was shocking because Donnie had been here forever. But then I, I, I thought, well, maybe it's time. Maybe this organization with the new superstar that you're building around, maybe it's just time for a, just a totally new vision and a totally new mindset. And... 17 years is a long time to be the GM of anything, to run anything in sports. It got stale. It got stagnant. And I, I like the move. I'm, I'm kind of excited to see where this can go from here on. Um, I mean, I don't know what's not to like. JD's a good dude, man. Very I mean, good a dude. really good dude. Uh, but it happens to all the good dudes, man. You know, time sometimes runs out on you. And he's right. They haven't just been bad for the last five or six years. They've been, you know, just terrible. I mean, they've been non-competitive. And um, when you look at it like that, I don't know that uh, I don't know that you could. You, they rode with him as long as they could. His contract was up at the end of the year. Uh, he didn't deserve a new contract based on uh, what he's done the previous two or three years. Yeah. You don't want to stifle Chris Young's growth. How about this? You don't want Chris Young deferring to JD. Like, yeah, dog, you've been around a little bit longer than me. If you want to rock rock like that, I ride with you on that. Now you want him to take charge. And really show us what you can do. And to do that, man, you had to let go of a good dude. Yeah, you did. And, and I, I know you've talked to JD many, many times. I, I had the opportunity to talk to him several times. He was always fantastic. I, I thought he was always a good interview. Even on air, when you got to interview him, he would be, he'd give you some insight. You could ask him a lot of things. He never bristled. He was one of those guys, truly, John Daniels, that when things were going really well, he pointed the finger at other people and when things were going really bad, he took the blame. And I had a lot of respect for that. I'll never, ever forget the fact that he was the dude who was there in 2010 and 2011. And I got to experience something I never thought I would. But now you got to move forward of it. And, and like Ray Davis said, you know, this is something, there's a lot of work that has to be done. And, and Davis said, we accepted the plan to rebuild. 
But as we look forward to it, even though John proved he could build a winning organization, I felt like Chris was the right guy to lead us forward. That's why I made the decision. The rebuild plan involves the entire baseball department, which helps roster trades, all those things. So I don't see how this is any different than if Daniels had stayed, but it gives Chris an opportunity, he said, to get a running start on the season. That's why we did it now. I mean, I'm cool with it. I mean, it's not, they're not doing any. I mean, what is it? Six weeks left in the season. They're not going to do anything of note uh, in those six weeks. Uh, the only thing I found curious was if you had already made up your mind to kind of fire him, you know, maybe Chris Young would have done some different things um, at the trade deadline if he was just, if he was just, um, you know, riding with himself. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? As opposed to being with his boy. So uh, I think that to me is, you know, kind of the issue. Yeah, and, and, and I will say, you know, the Rangers owners are probably the least visible owners of any owners. I, I mean, for sure in DFW, but they are some of the least visible owners in sports, quite honestly. You never see them. You rarely ever hear from them. They've been guys that are, are kind of the silent, almost the backbone and that JD or, or now Chris Young or whomever it is, it tends to be the face and it's interesting because most, most, unless you're a Stars fan, most people probably don't know who Tom Gagliardi is, who's the owner of the Dallas Stars. But even he is more visible and more vocal than Ray Davis and the dudes, the team that own the Rangers. So I thought this was great to hear from Ray Davis after the, the firing of John Daniels when he addressed the media. He says, all I can say to fans is we're treating this with a sense of urgency Fans have got to be as upset as I am. I'm not a good loser. We plan on putting a very competitive team on the field next year, but we will gain credibility with fan base with wins on the field. Boom. That's I like that. what it is, bro. No, I like it. And, and again, this this is, I think there's always been a frustration. I know there is. Like, in my fantasy football group, some of my, my best friends are really, really big Rangers fans like me. You know, we go back and forth on this. Like, why do we live in a top five market in Dallas-Fort Worth and our baseball team spends nothing. Like, the money's there. <laughs> I mean, this is a top five market. You should be spending like a major market team. Well, the reality of it is when they feel like they can, like when they feel like they've got the right pieces in place, they'll spend money like Corey Seager and Marcus Simeon and John Gray. They, they will spend the money if they feel like all the other pieces are there for this to open a window so there's an opportunity to win a World Series in the next five, six years. And if they truly feel like that now, then I think some of those problems that still need to be addressed with, you know, they need starting pitching, they need a middle of the order bat, and some of those types of things, I don't think they have a problem going out and spending even more money in the offseason to try and secure a couple of those pieces. No, I think it's, it's all about how they feel, bro. Whether they like the direction of the organization, whether they got questions about it, uh, you know, whether they're really contending or whether they're lying to themselves. You know, I think those are just the questions that have to be asked asked and answered by, by the Rangers. And they can't lie to themselves when they do it. They got to be honest about it. And if they are, then they'll know whether they need to make a move and spend some money or not. Like last offseason seemed like stupid to spend money uh, because you weren't really ready to, to compete. But, you know, I mean, after after begging them to spend money, are we now not going to beg them to spend money? You know what I mean? Yeah, and I think last year the main piece was Corey Seager because of those shortstops, and they knew they needed one for the for the future. 
And I think that's why they went out. You know, the Marcus Simeon signing, okay. I loved the Seager signing, the fact they got him. But this is a team that in 2021 had a payroll of $95 million, which was 20th in baseball. This year, when they thought, they didn't think that they'd necessarily make the playoffs. They thought they could compete for a potential playoff spot in 2022. They're not. But they did jump five spots in payroll. They're now 15th in payroll. And they spent $145 million this year, which is $3 million below the league average. I wouldn't be surprised if they feel like they can do something in the next few years, making another jump of 40 to $50 million in payroll to get into the top 10. I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility. And if they do that and they get a couple of nice free agents and a couple of these young arms in the system turn out with Josh Young, who's just smashing up AAA again now that he's healthy, the future is bright. The future is bright. John Daniels said that when he parted. You talk about the class of John Daniels. He said this, he goes, to all of you Rangers fans out there, thank you. There are going to be some amazing moments in the summers and falls again soon, and you will get the parade you deserve. Yeah, that's classy. See, well, he knows. He's always been a classy dude, bro. We're going to, I, I've said this before, World Series champions 2027. Really? That's it right there, man, because that'll give Lighter some time to develop, Rocker, Porter, Owen White, it's going to develop a nice staff. It's going to get Josh Young a couple of years in the in the bigs. Seager will still be a big part of what you're doing here. I I, I believe that the, the structure of this organization, you know, they needed the Adrian Beltre signing when they brought him in to kind of galvanize everybody because they had some nice young pieces, but they needed that extra whatever it is. And Adrian Beltre really provided that. And then they were really smart. And they would sign some free agents. They would make some... They were never afraid to make moves. I mean, hell, they went out and traded for Cliff Lee. I mean, they would... And Cole Hamels. You know, they they would go for it if they believed they could get it. And I think they're starting to believe uh, they can actually get it again. No, I liked it. I, I appreciated that more than anything about JD. He always went for it. Now, sometimes the moves didn't always work out, but he always went for it. And uh, I, I appreciated that more than anything. And now he's gone. We will miss hey, you, John Daniels. Doug, you can't even feel sorry for a professional um, coach, manager, executive if they get 17 years. Bro. No, not at all. Not at I mean, all. You can't, you can't say anything, but, Doug, you had a hell of a run, man. Most people last five. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no. four. You're, you're exactly so you got, right. You got 17. I can't even say anything, bro. You are exactly right, man, and and it has been, it's been a really crappy, and this season's going to be included in that. It's been a really tough six years, really tough. And in, you know, you go all the way back to fifteen and sixteen, the last two times they made the playoffs and they lost to the Blue Jays in the ALDS, and how fun that was, and how incredible it is that we got a God. What was that? That was probably a. Was that about that was about a six year run, right? Because 2010, when they won 90 games and went to the World Series, and then 2016, when they won 95 games and got swept by the Blue Jays in the ALDS, that was what seven years. That was a seven year run, the best seven years we've ever seen this franchise have, man. So six years of shit, and hopefully it'll turn around and we'll get another <laughs> seven year run. Yeah, bro. We'll uh, see. Yeah, no, it's fantastic. It could be. It could be very fantastic. Much like it could be very fantastic for you when you open your mouth and what's coming to go inside of it is a bite off your jam session bowl. 
<laughs> that might be absolutely delicious. So you got to get over to Smokey John's, man. Try the jam session bowl. For those of you that don't know what it is, because well, we don't know. tell you. Yeah, let Jacques, because exactly. we don't always explain exactly what it is. So what is it? No, I just went over there. You know, I went Sunday and they were closed. I, I didn't want to tell Juan because he's like, I can't believe you don't know we're not open on Sunday. I'd just be like, I just forgot, bro. I was coming in off the road. You know, I wasn't really thinking. But no, so I think I went two days ago, bro. I just, I don't know. I had a craving for it. And I had a really good workout. So I said, I think I'll treat myself. And it was, uh, we started with the mac and cheese, man. They put five scoops of it in there. I was like, I didn't even realize they put that many scoops of it in there, man. And then I went with, you know, I, you get your choice of five smoked meats, man. But typically I go with the brisket and the sausage. Goes good down. Goes good together. And then, man. Now, I told him to, to keep the butter because they put a scoop of butter. I, said, you, I love the butter, but you keep the butter, bro. But outside that, man, put some bacon bits on there, some chives, some sour cream. Ah, covered it in ch- cheddar cheese. Yeah, more cheese than I, more cheese than, I would, than, than, than my caloric intake would allow. But, hey, it's a special day, so we decided to cover it with, with cheese. It was, it was delicious. And then they put that sauce on it, brother. And uh, that was it, man. Put it up nice and tight. I actually had a little side of sweet potatoes and macaroni and cheese because I was being greedy that day. Did you? Yeah, bro. Off the chain, man. What a tasty treat. Very nice for you. Oh, it's fantastic, bro. That sounds delicious. Some some for, uh, it was like 3 o'clock. So some for uh, lunchtime and some for a late night snack. I like it. You'll like it. You'll love it. It's available at Smokey John's Barbecue right there off Mockingbird in... Dallas, and if you can't get to the actual restaurant, maybe you tried to go on Sunday as well, you can still get Smokey John's because their barbecue sauce and their rub are fantastic and are available for you online. They'll ship it to you wherever you are. So just go to SmokeyJohns.com, click on Smokey's Market, and you can order it and enjoy it at home. Right, right, right. So I wanted to get into this because this is this is a really sad, weird, effed up situation. And you were saying that you've been digging into it because you're going to be doing a story on it. And that is, I'm sure by now most people are familiar with this. And the brother of Aqib Tlaib, Aqib Tlaib, who played in the NFL for many, many years and was one of the best cornerbacks in the NFL for a long time, was a fir- first round pick back in 2008 by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, played for a couple of different teams. His brother apparently turned himself in now. And am I saying the name correct? Is it Yaquib Talib? I think it's Yokub. Yokub. It's kind of like, yeah, I think it's kind of like Jacob, but it's Yokub. Okay, Yokub Talib, who was arrested after witnesses say that he shot and killed a man named Mike Hickman multiple times. And uh, there's a warrant issued for his arrest. This happened last weekend uh, at a youth football game, and he turned himself in. And, and it, 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 just on the surface, because I haven't done nearly as much on this as you have, it just seems like a colossally effed up thing. Oh, it is, bro. Um, now, the Morning News uh, hired me to do this because, you know, it's a JJT Media Group. I am an independent contractor. But uh, they, they called me and asked me to do a piece on it. And, uh, you know, as it turns out, bro, it's always about, uh, and I didn't know him at all, but in, in doing some interviewing and I reached out to, uh, you know, every, every community has some people who know everybody and everything. And so I reached out to a couple people 
in the uh in my community who know everybody and everything and they put me on some paths to find people and so i spent most of today up until the podcast on the phone doing interviews uh there's a rally at city hall today uh there weren't very many people there but a lot of organizations there who just wanted to get their word out about this is ridiculous we, we got to do something in terms of mentoring youth and and you know putting things in place so a tragedy like this never happens again uh, but basically, bro, uh, if you haven't seen the video, and hopefully you haven't, uh, there's a youth football game between Aqib Tlaib's team, and he, you know, he he owns a team, um, and this other team, and it's a scrimmage, bro. It's not even a game. Jesus, it's a scrimmage, and um, there's a there's a call that they disagreed with at the end of the game. Uh, it's fourth quarter. There's a call that they disagreed with Tlaib's team. And so they get us, I, I believe, rep, let's say reportedly right now, reportedly Tlaib comes on the field and uh, is berating the official and snatches the ball from the official and takes it with him. Like, Aha, I got the ball. You can't play without the ball. Because he's mad. Um, so the officials are like, okay, the game's over. We're not going to put up with this. The game's over. They call the game off. And that's when Mike Hickman did what? His team had the ball, so he went to go get the ball that Tlaib had. And uh, as he was going to get it, somebody, some folks have said it's Tlaib, some folks have said it's not, kicked the ball so he couldn't get it. And in doing so, I think they kicked his hand when he was reaching down to get it. That's what I've been told. Um, and that kind of started to fight. Uh, but then it was just one-on-one, and then Tlaib's or several people on the other sideline joined in the fight. So then it became more like a five or six against one. And so Mike, who wasn't even coaching that game, he was part of the chain gang, bro. He had the dial marker during the game. Um, he started swinging the dial marker to try to protect himself. And uh, he's, uh, he's on the ground getting beat up or jumped by four or five cats, and he gets up. And Tlaib's brother reported, allegedly, comes from behind, pulls out his gun, and shoots him f- several times. And uh, he dies at the hospital, and it's just tragic, man. And it's not, I mean, the, the, the killing, the murder is bad enough. I mean, that's really bad enough. Yeah. But think about it, bro. This dude's kid. Was at the game. God, this dude's wife was at the game. Now let's take it one step further, bro. Think about all the kids there who saw this. Yeah. And how traumatized the vast majority of them will be. Uh, because this wasn't TV, brother. This was real life. Yeah. And so uh, the morning news hired me to kind of tell that story. And then today they called me up and said, hey, do you think you can put together a profile of uh, Mike Hickman, too? And I was like, well, yeah, if the price is right. I mean, this is a capitalistic society <laughs> we live in. Exactly. Um, so, but, uh, in, and, you know, man, it turns out like this. Again, I didn't know him, so I reached out to his friend, to a person I know. I said, hey, do you know anybody connected with this? And this guy says, yeah, one of my best friends played youth football with him uh, growing up. He said, I'll connect you with him. So I'm at the rally today, and this guy was going to be at the rally. So I'm talking, I'm looking at him like, man, you look familiar. Well, hell, his son played on DeSoto's football team last year. And uh, as a junior, my kid was a senior, so that's why I recognized him. 
And so, um, you know, he just started filling me in on all the details, gave me about five more phone numbers and hooked me up with everybody I would ever need to talk to. And so um, that's a good thing because, you know, when somebody dies tragically like that, yeah. uh, you like to, if you can have an impact, you like to uh, have an opportunity to kind of tell their story and, you know, it doesn't make it any better for the family, but at least everybody in Dallas-Fort Worth who reads it will know the kind of dude that he was and how he certainly didn't deserve this uh, this kind of fate. Yeah, colossally tragic, man. I mean, just absolutely, there's not even words to describe the level that it's on. And, and you, you know, you hear about this not necessarily resulting in death, but you hear about this all the time at, at youth games, fights, and parents that get in fights and, and things that happen. And I just, it's, not, it, it's hard to understand. You know, these are, these are kids that you're supposed to be setting an example for. And, and I mean, this thing is just so sad. Yeah, bro. Really is, man. No, that's, 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 I mean, that's really what it is because, again, you know, people always say this when somebody dies tragic, but this was like a really good dude. Like, I haven't gotten to the bottom of this, but. Apparently, his sister died last year. And so what did he do? He took his sister's kid in. Um, you know, because that's what family does in, in, in the wake of a tragedy. And so you just, uh, it's just senseless, man. It's disappointing. And, uh, you know, a lot of people uh, were calling for, like, some type of reform. Like, um, you know, you need to quit having the games at these little fields and have them at stadiums. Or you need metal detectors, or you need clear clear backpacks not allowed. You need p- police officers there, or whatever. Yeah. And uh, those are all good ideas. And I asked the guy. I said, "Okay, let me just ask you the question that, that inevitably comes: Who paying for all that, bro?" And he says, "The teams can pay for it." He said, "The teams have money, or the leagues have money because they charge entry fees and all right. this other stuff." And um, you know, I don't know if they do or if they don't, but it's certainly an idea. I think. And and I think the bigger issue would be you could alleviate a lot of that, I think, if you had real police presence. Off-duty cops are not hard to find. Um, they're not hard to pay. Uh, but, you know, you can't get security guards because people don't respect security guards. Right. Not you at all. I mean? Not at all. Not, dude, you're a mild cop. If you was a real cop, you'd be a real cop. But since you ain't a real cop, you just you just do you know, but if you had police officers at games, um, it would obviously be a real deterrent because nobody's going to act a fool because ain't nobody trying to get arrested uh, at a youth game. Um, and they just act as a real deterrent. And so I think there'll be a big push to get more law enforcement involved by the leagues. You just have to come out of your pocket and pay them whatever, I mean, whatever off-duty cops make. Yeah. Um, you know, to patrol the games for, uh, you know, from eight to four. So maybe you have a couple different ones come in or, you know, however you do it, bro. But it's worth the money to save the lives. Yeah, it, I would agree. It's worth the money to save the lives. There's no doubt to where you put something in the place so that the things like this cannot happen because things like this should not happen. Nah, it's ridiculous. It's a weird world, man. It, and so we go from that to another football story but this going back up to the nfl with the cleveland browns deshaun watson they reached a settlement the nfl and the nflpa and he has agreed it'll be an 11 game suspension now you keep in mind originally the suspension was a six game suspension and a two million dollar fine 
He now has an 11 game suspension and is paying an additional fine of $5 million and must also undergo mandatory evaluation by behavioral experts and follow their suggested treatment program. So it's the NFL wanted a year. I think most people felt that he should get a full year suspension. He was never going to agree to that. And from some of the stuff that I read, it's the NFL kind of took this because they ran the risk that their appeal gets denied. He only serves the six games. He could have played while the appeal was ongoing, and that could have taken however long it takes. I mean, it could have gone through the course of the season. And they wanted to wrap this up and get this just done now. And so when he agreed to do the additional five games, the NFL agreed to that, and they took the 11-game suspension, even though they wanted a 17-game suspension. No, I mean, it, uh, it makes sense. It's a, uh, it's a tough penalty. Some people think it's not tough enough. But I think you get, you got to understand whether you – I mean, nobody nobody thinks what he did was, was good. It was all bad. It's all terrible. But he didn't play last season. Uh, he got paid, but he didn't play. Right. And so, you know, that's basically he was suspended with pay last year. And this year he'll be suspended for 11 games without pay. And I think it's fair to ask, even at his age, dude, he's missed. He's going to miss 16 and 11, 27 games. You know, you don't know if he, how long it'll take him to get back to being the Deshaun Watson, who was one of the best quarterbacks in the league. I certainly wouldn't expect him to be that this year after after missing 11 weeks. He's going to be just a guy when he shows up. Yeah, and, and you you also kind of wonder, does that mean immediately because, you know, in typical, it feels like the NFL does stuff like this on purpose, but he, the first game that he can come back and play is December 4th when the Browns play the Houston Texans. Well, I think they had to do 11 because he needed six games to get in a crude season. So 11 was kind of the most they could give him, and it just happened that the schedule fell that way. Um you know, so I think, you know, it's just kind of weird luck. But, um, you know, it'll be it'll be it'll be a wild game. It'll be plenty of boo birds. Oh, yeah, I'm sure uh, for, for the rest of his career, there'll be a lot of those. Although I don't anticipate he'll play in that game. I mean, hell, because I don't know what the rules are. You can't. You, uh, I don't know if you get to come back early and integrate into the team or if you have to miss those 11 games before you can even be back in the building. Yeah, and I also thought at that point in the season, if Cleveland's having a decent season, do you just do you still make the switch to Deshaun Watson? Or are you just rolling with the dude who's played 11 games for you? No, if you're having a good year, you probably just roll with who you got. Which would be Jacoby Brissett apparently right now, or you know, right. there's still the idea that maybe would they make a move for Jimmy Garoppolo or something because San Francisco's not going to keep him around, although they're getting close. I mean, at some point, you got to make the decision. Are you going to trade him? If you're going to cut him, how that's going to turn out for San Francisco. But yeah, this, this whole situation, and he just, to me, seems like a tone deaf, I don't give a crap what I did. He did that apology, but then he basically also had a statement that came out today, and I'm paraphrasing, but it was one of those things where, you know, that, it, that apology was no admission of guilt or anything, you know, that type of thing. Right. Like well, he, I mean, you know. He said, I'll continue to stand on my innocence just because, you know, settlements and stuff doesn't mean I'm guilty for anything. It's it's just a weird deal. I mean, it was creepy and all of that stuff. Um, if you go deep into the case and, you know, I got a brother-in-law who's on the FBI who's told me some things about it, but I'm just like, ah, you know, it's I mean, it's just a weird deal. I think the best thing for everybody 
is that the women receive some kind of financial compensation for for the uh, trauma that they endured. Uh, him taking away the game for 27 games, whether you think that's enough or not, that's a big-ass penalty. Uh, the money, not so much, even though the money's a lot, because whatever he spent on the settlement and whatever this $5 million fine is, yes, he got $230 million this year, but, I mean, you know, rich people like money, so it matters. Yes, they do, and the NFL is going to take all $7 million that they will get from him in the fine, and they're going to put it towards programs and education for sexual violence and things of that nature, try to figure out how to be better moving forward with this. And, you know, it's the, the whole thing sucks all the way around. And the one thing he just, and, and the, the judge even said this, like he just has not really ever expressed remorse. Like, I don't believe that he thinks he's done anything wrong. I think, like, I, like just my interpretation of him, I think that he thinks, what's the big deal? I just whipped it out. Like, I don't get it. Yeah, I think there's some truth in it. And he's like, I, I can't believe this is a big deal. Whatever. You know, like, here's some money. I mean, are, are we cool? Come on. And that's just kind of the vibe that I get from him on this whole thing. And I, I think that's pretty sad. Right, right, right. And that's how I personally interpret it. I, I will not be rooting for him ever again. Not that I rooted for him before. I mean, he played for Houston. But he'll come back. I need Amari Cooper to catch some passes. He's my fantasy wide receiver. So hopefully Jacoby <laughs> Brzezak can get him the ball. Uh, let's hope so. But that's, that's one of those things, man, with the NFL. And it's almost here. And then we can put all this to bed and hopefully just enjoy what we get out of the games. Bro, that would be nice. I'm looking forward to Saturday night, preseason game two of the Cowboys. I'm, I'm stoked, man. You can't wait to see Dennis Houston and, and Kevontae Turpin and Jalen Tolbert <laughs> and random it's other receiver. N- it's the new NFL, bro. That's what I like. I mean, no, I think it's good because we need to see these guys in the preseason so that when those are all of our starting wide receivers in the regular season, we know who the hell we're talking about. All right. even, if they're not going, even if they're not going to be any good. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> At least you know who they are. Because normally, like, a guy like Dennis Houston, we'd be doing the show. Like, Dennis Houston, what is he, like the 52nd guy on the roster? I don't know who that is. Yeah. And bro. now you're going to know who he is. You have to. Are they? He caught a Hail Mary today. So hey, Yeah, he caught always. a Hail Mary. Kick ass. Good for us. His, boys. Boy, Matt has already gone down the bitter, bitter beer face. <laughs> Man, I'm just saying. I'm just, I'm just saying. Yes. I... You know what? They can change my mind very easily by beating Tampa and beating Cincinnati at home, and then I will be Super Bowl bound. But outside of that, I don't know, man. I don't know. <laughs> I, I'm gonna. I'm, I'm, I reserve my right to change my mind once we get into the regular season. I need. I need those. I need a two game sample. I need to see those first two games of the regular season before I feel like I can either go down the rabbit hole of despair or I feel like there's a little bit of hope. Right, right, right. And so I I think that's fair. So give me those first two games. All right, everybody, enjoy your weekend. That is it for us. We will be back another new episode on Monday where we will take a look at whatever we see coming out of Saturday night with the Cowboys and the Chargers. So have a good one. We'll talk to you then. Thanks for listening to the Jam Session podcast. Make sure to find us on Instagram at Jam Session Cast. Of course, you can also find us on Twitter at McMatt Radio and at JJT underscore journalist. Our podcast is sponsored by Greening Law, a personal injury law firm in Dallas, Texas. Greening Law fights the legal battle so you'll have time for healing and renewal. 
Give them a call at 972-934-8900. Greening Law, Office, Dallas, Texas. As always, thanks to Purple Elephant Music for the music you hear at the end and the beginning of each episode. He, of course, is the radio, TV, and now podcast star, the sexy Jean-Jacques Taylor. And me, I'm just a guy, Matt McLaren. We'll catch you next time right here on the Jam Session Podcast, available everywhere you listen to podcasts.